Well, we are celebrating one of the two most significant days in, in world history uh, tonight. The first being Jesus, that's God's Son, the second person of the Trinity, is born in human flesh, and obviously we call this Christmas. The second most significant event, it also focuses on Jesus. Uh, so if we fast forward 30 plus years later, Jesus was murdered on a, a Roman cross as an innocent man. He was laid in a borrowed grave for three days. And then on the third day, he was resurrected back to life. So in other words, he had the audacity to walk out of his grave after being dead for three days. I love that. I don't know about you guys, but whenever you know, a dead man comes back to life like that, I tend to listen to him. <laughs> and by doing that, he conquered sin. He conquered death on our behalf. And obviously, we call that Easter or Resurrection Sunday. So we celebrate the birth of God's Son and then also the temporary death of God's Son, both Christmas and Easter. And, you know, in a world at best that puts up with this notion that Jesus is God, He is Savior of the world, and really at worst openly mocks Jesus, denies His existence, except, of course, to take His holy name in vain. Um, let me ask you as we start off. Like, what's all this mean for you today? What's, what's it mean for you personally? What's it mean for, for you tomorrow? What's it, what's it mean for the new year? And then lastly, what's it mean for eternity? We're going to address all those questions by looking at Luke's gospel tonight. What I'd like to do is read it to you, explain it, and then uh, we're going to see how we can apply this text, this passage um, as, we, as we learn how to handle the holy here, well, what this means for us today. So if you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. The passage will be on the screen, so you can follow along there. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus, he decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled from there, the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them and said, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, it's the Lord. He has been born today in Bethlehem, in the city of David. You're going to recognize him by this sign. You will find a, a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. And they were all praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, well, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they, they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story, they were astonished. But Mary, she kept all these things in her heart and she thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. And it was just as the angel had told them. Father in heaven, what an amazing passage for us to look at. Once again, I pray that you would ready our hearts to understand what this truly means for us today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks, guys. Let's take a deeper look here, starting in verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, he decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. A little commentary here uh, from Luke in, in verse 2. He says, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Verse 3, so everybody returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. So the Christmas story, it begins with world history. It's important to note here that, that even though we're learning the, uh, the story of Jesus' birth, it doesn't start with once upon a time. It doesn't start that way, does it? No, look at it. It says at that time. At that time. This is no, this is no fairy tale. Luke reveals the names of real people with actual facts that, that took place in a particular time in world history. Luke mentions one of the most powerful men in the world, Augustus, Caesar Augustus. Now, that's not, that man, that's not his, his name, that's his title. His name is Gaius Octavius, that's his birth name. Gaius is the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. Regardless, Caesar, it means emperor. Uh, Augustus means that he needs to be revered. He needs to be honored and esteemed. Now, it is interesting because Gaius... His ascension to the throne really marked the beginning of the Roman Empire, and he is arguably one of the most significant people in Roman history, world history. A couple reasons for that. Number one, he restored unity to the country after many, many years of civil war. And then secondly, he ushered in what was called the Pax Romana. And that was really a time of peace and prosperity throughout both the Greek and the Roman worlds. And it lasted for two centuries. That's quite impressive. Now, the irony is that he held peace through violence. That's how he did it. And yet, as powerful as this man was, Almighty God, in his sovereignty and his perfect timing, he moves the heart of Augustus to fulfill this, this prophecy that the Lord, the, the Messiah, the Savior, is going to be born in, in Bethlehem, 
In fact, the prophet Micah predicted this. He prophesied this. Let me show this to you. Micah 5.2. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, you're only a small village among all the people of Judah, and yet a ruler of Israel. So that's Jesus, whose origins are in the distant past. Meaning that this Jesus, he is eternal. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's, he's always existed. It will, he will still come from you on my behalf, on the Father's behalf. The cool thing about Micah is that this statement was written six to 700 years before Jesus was physically born. So in other words, God providentially set the world stage to get Joseph and Mary, two no-name people, to Bethlehem so that God's son would be born exactly when and where the prophet Micah predicted. I love that. God, God did the same thing with King Artaxerxes in Ezra chapter 7 and also King Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 45. So, in other words, God installs kings and then he, he uses them for his purpose. And then he also removes kings. If you read uh, Romans 13, the Lord tells us that. The Apostle Paul tells us that. Proverbs 21.1 it is a great proverb on, on the, the sovereignty of God. Look at this. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. See, it's the Lord guides it. The Lord guides the king's heart wherever he pleases. Isn't that cool? I love that. So to honor that prophecy, God moved the heart of the most powerful man in the world to take a census. Now, a census, it's just a survey, and it has two reasons. Number one, it's to register young men for war or for the military service, and number two, for taxes. So this particular census was for taxes because the Jews, uh, they did not serve in the Roman military. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about God's invisible hand orchestrating every bit of this. Does the, Roman emperor, uh, does the Roman emperor, does he care about a tiny village called Bethlehem? Everybody go like this. No. He doesn't. Bethlehem what? Bethlehem who? He does not care. Does the emperor care about Yahweh God? No, he doesn't care. How about this one? Does he care about money and military power? Oh, you were quick on that one. Yeah, yeah, he cares about money. He cares about military power. So God used, this is, a, this is amazing. He used the worldly motives of the emperor and really his wicked heart to conduct God's own will. God's predetermined purposes simultaneously became the emperor's purposes. Verse four, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. That's David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. So traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 70 miles, 7-0. That's like walking from here to Anthem. So it's not easy if, if, you're, if you're in good health. That's quite the hike. Uh, but look at this, verse 5. But Joe, he, he took with him Mary... 
to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. Mary was engaged, and she's already with child. I, I love how scandalous verse 5 is. We don't need a soap opera. You don't need to watch that stuff on TV. We just need to read scripture. This is scandalous. It sounds like a shotgun wedding to me. So can you not only imagine walking from here to Anthem, uh, but ladies, how about being nine months pregnant? Ladies, can you imagine yourself trying to ride a donkey while nine months pregnant for a week straight? Does that sound like a whole lot of fun? <laughs> Verse 6. So while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth. She laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. You know, verses 6 and 7 they state the greatest miracle in the history of the world up until that time. Um, it's debatable whether you want to say Christmas is the biggest world event or Easter is. But up until this time, look how understated this is. God is stepping down off his throne in heaven where angels continually sing and they continually worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, holy Holy, holy, it's the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's Isaiah 6. See, Jesus was conceived of a virgin, and now Mary is, is ready to give birth. And, and here's the thing. There's, there, there's nobody there. There's nobody there to witness this miracle of God being born. There's no pomp, there's no circumstance, there's, there's no parades. I mean, where, where are the paparazzi? They're not even there. No angels appeared at this moment, no heavenly trumpets rang, no voice from heaven announced the birth of the Son of God to all mankind. It's crazy. The birth of God happened so quietly at some obscure little tiny village in Israel. But while Jesus' birth was like that of every other child, dear friends, please know this, Jesus was unlike every other child. This child that we're talking about tonight, he is the Son of God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is God in human flesh. He is deity. He is Israel's long-awaited Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the savior of the world. He's, he's the creator of the universe, and he became a man, his own creation. Jesus enters the world that he created as a helpless baby. It's just mind-blowing, isn't it? Luke only provides a few details here. Verse 7, he says, she gave birth to her firstborn son. Wow, Luke, you talk about an understatement. Right? Somebody needs to show Luke how to write a headline. I guess they didn't have marketing 101 when Luke was getting his MD. Just crazy. Think about the humility of this. The, the humility in which the God of the, the universe arrives. It, it is absolutely <laughs> breathtaking. It's, unner it's unnerving. 
Practically speaking, the firstborn was the primary beneficiary of, of the family. But theologically, the firstborn is a way of God speaking human knees to us. He's got to dumb everything down. Um, we see this, this phrase, firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn of, of all creation. Jesus is the firstborn of God. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. You say, wow, that, that sounds kind of weird. That last one sounds kind of creepy. What's it all mean? Well, firstborn, it is not about chronology. This is not about time. This is about preeminence. This is about supremacy. This is about Jesus being distinct from everyone else. This is about his transcendence. Jesus has preceded all others in both time and space. I can't say it any better than the Apostle Paul. Let me show this to you here. Colossians 1, verse 15. Paul says, Christ, he is the visible image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what he talks like and acts like, we have to look to Jesus. That's what he's for. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So Paul basically is restating what Micah has already told us six to seven hundred years prior, right? That Jesus' origins, they are in the distant past. They are eternal. Verse 16, for it's through him, that's Jesus, that God created everything, everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. Jesus made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as the thrones and the kingdoms and the rulers and the authorities in the unseen world. So that's the angelic realm. We can't see that. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. Verse 17, so he, Jesus, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. You know, we read the Gospels, and we think, wow, he, you know, he fed 5,000 people with, you know, a sack lunch. That's pretty cool. But no, guys, look. He holds everything. He holds the creation together. Verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning. Once again, supreme. There's a supremacy there. He is, he's supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. And that's the main point. Jesus is first in everything. Once again, he is preeminent. Jesus is God who spoke the creation into existence in Genesis chapter 1. So here, here's the miracle. The miracle is that this same God who was in the beginning who created the heavens and the earth, right? He now has flesh and bones just like me and you. John's gospel says this, John 1.1. 1, 1, In the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. And the word was with God. We could say God the Father. And the word was with God the Son. Or was, let me read that over. In the beginning was the word. Sometimes I get a little too excited. So I have to start over and just calm down. Take two. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God the Father. And the Word was God the Son. 
He, Jesus, he was with God the Father in the beginning. All things were created through Jesus. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And guess what? This same God who spoke the cosmos into creation is now living among mankind. And all Jesus needed pretty much was just a physical body. Hebrews 10.5 says this. I love this. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you don't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. No, you have given me a body to offer. Isn't that cool? That's Easter. So back to verse 7, Mary, she wraps Jesus snugly in strips of cloth. Your translation may say swaddling clothes. In the first century, strips of cloth, they were used to wrap babies, to keep them warm, have them feel secure. This was a common practice for newborn babies. The point here is that Jesus was treated like any other baby. Jesus was not dressed in royal robes, but rather everyday clothes that other babies wore. Not only that, but she laid him in a manger. Now, it may have been common to to wrap babies in swaddling clothes, But putting a newborn baby in a manger, that was not common. Uh, A manger is a feeding trough for livestock. I mean, why not just put Jesus in a crib? Verse 7 says, well, you can't because there was no lodging available for them. So wherever it was that, that Joseph and Mary stayed, it certainly wasn't Motel 6, nor was it the Ritz Carlton, right? We, we don't know. Because mention, uh, Luke mentions a manger here, there's a, a belief, all of our, many of our Christmas cards, you know, you, you've got Jesus born in some kind of stable. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, feeding troughs, these stables could be found uh, anywhere throughout Israel. Um, basically, where there was a feeding trough, there were animals um, around. So it could have been a cave. It could have been some kind of field. It could have been a a public shelter or a campground. Um, And it was possible that there was no room for them because so many people were traveling to and from because of the census. So all that to say this, when Jesus was born, he was born in a smelly, filthy, probably cold shelter surrounded by noisy animals. Verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Let's talk about shepherds for a minute. They, they were mainly uneducated, unskilled folks. They had a, a reputation for being dishonest and unreliable. Shepherds were near the bottom of the social economic ladder. Uh, the irony, of course, is that two of the greatest people in Israel's history were both shepherds at one time. Uh, Moses being one, Exodus 3, 1, and then, of course, King David, 1 Samuel 16. But not only that, Scripture refers to God as the shepherd of Israel. Jesus described himself as the good shepherd. Regardless, no one expected shepherds of all people to get this divine memo that God is born. So, Shepherds were doing what they're always doing. They were working that night. Nothing out of the ordinary, that is, until we get to verse 9. Luke says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory, it surrounded them. 
And they were terrified. They were terrified. Most of the time when angels show up, people hit the ground. They are uh, they're fearful. They're trembling. It's a, it's a state of trepidation. They, they basically think they're about to die. And this is precisely probably what the shepherds thought at this moment. I mean, put, your, put yourself in the shepherd's place. You're doing what, you're all, what you've always done, right? You're watching the sheep in the middle of the night, and bam, you see this blinding light with glowing men talking to you. <laughs> Would that freak you out? Yeah, just a little bit. Would you be scared? Yeah, I'd be freaking out. I'll tell you that. Verse 10, the angel, obviously done this before, so he says, don't be afraid, guys. Don't be afraid. It's okay. I bring you good news that will bring great joy. The shepherds did not need to fear, for the angel had come bearing good news. Now, people will fear at the second coming of Jesus, That second coming is when Jesus bears justice. But the angel's message was not one of judgment, not this time. It's one of joy. So they continue in verse 11. The angel says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, in the city of David. Verse 11 really is the theme of this passage. So the angels give Jesus three specific titles here. Let's let's take a look at these. Jesus is the Savior. In other words, Jesus is the one who rescues. He delivers people from their sin. Jesus is also the Messiah. Uh, Christ means Messiah. Jesus is the chosen one. He is the anointed one from God the Father to be our Savior. And Jesus is Lord. Lord means that that he is the master. He is the ruler of the cosmos. Did you know the very name and title? Jesus Christ. It, It proclaims God's glory. Jesus. His first name. It means God saves. God saves. Christ, on the other hand, is is not Jesus' last name, it's his title. And it means anointed one. So when you put Jesus plus Christ together, look what you get. God saves through his anointed one. So we got the Lord Jesus. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is Messiah. And guys, he is so much more. He's so much more. These three titles reveal the greatness of Jesus. Now, this this statement here in verse 11 really is the heart of the gospel. Right from the very start, we see that people are sinners who need a Savior. Now, the shepherds, they they couldn't grasp all this, but God chose them to hear the, the message first. Why? Why shepherds? Well, God is no respecter of persons here, so God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't show any partiality to someone's rank or title, that does not impress God. So in other words, the free offer of the gospel, it is available to everyone, and it's available to you tonight. Brings us to key point number one. Jesus was born to save sinners. That's why we celebrate Christmas the way that we do. He came to save us 
Now, I need to pause here for one second. I, I want to take just a slight detour because most of the time in our, cult, in our church culture today, Jesus is presented, he's kind of marketed, I'll put that in air quotes, he's marketed as this mascot, you know, who can rescue people from a lousy marriage or give somebody a, a better job. It's amazing that many people don't go to church today to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they go because they've, they've been lied to, thinking that Jesus will make them healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, I did a little research on some of the largest churches in America. I just want to read you some actual sermon titles, because I think a sermon title tells a lot about the preacher's theology and also the theology of the church and their priorities. So let me just read a few. More, you are more than enough. Did you know that? You're more than enough. The greatness code. The power to change. Peace of mind. You got to lead like it matters versus leading like it doesn't matter, I guess. <laughs> devil, you've held me long enough. Get off me, devil. The blessings of letting go. How did I get here? These are real titles. Challenge the shadow. I, I don't even know where that one is. <laughs> this guy, he may have preached this one next. Enough already. What's it going to be? Got me. It must be a secret. I don't know. You got to make peace with your strength. This is not your final chapter. Don't fight your future. Don't fight it, baby. Fight your future. Don't believe the lies. Your time for release. Choose to be happy. You got to break the control. Break it. And my fan, this is my favorite, living unoffended. Living unoffended. And it's my favorite because when we first hear the gospel, we are going to be offended. Because we're sinners and we need a savior and that's offensive and that's the whole point. God is holy and we are not. We're not. See, if we could save ourselves from sin, I mean, I think we would have done it already. But we haven't. And the reason that I shared that with you guys, because look, if you think that Jesus is just a version of a cosmic Santa Claus, you are going to be so disappointed and you are going to be so angry at God when things start to unravel in your life. And I don't want you angry at God. I want you to know that God is holy and he is different from you. And yes, he loves you. But these trials and these, these circumstances in your life were preordained and predestined to build spiritual muscle in your life so that you can have this relationship with him. 
I don't want you walking away here angry at God, thinking that this is your best life now, because it's not, not if you're a believer. I mean, all of those sermons, I'll give it to these guys, all of those sermon titles, they, they may point to solutions that are legitimate problems in our lives, but, but guys, those are only visible symptoms of the root problem. Key point number two, the root problem is always sin. It's always sin. We have all broken God's laws, and because we've broken God's laws, justice must be served. Justice for sin is this eternal punishment in a very real place called hell. Jesus talks a lot about that place. And the true gospel of this message tonight, of this Christmas story, is that Jesus came into the world to rescue us and to deliver us from our stupidity and from our love of sin. And that's why Jesus' titles, that's why Jesus' titles are so important. The Savior, yes, the Messiah and the Lord. Verse 13 Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, and they are praising God, and they're singing this. Pause. The picture here is that there are so many angels singing and, and worshiping God at this moment. It is unequaled, it is unparalleled, and unrivaled in Scripture. Nowhere else do you see this many angels worshiping God. And these are not just angels, but look at the text. They're warriors. This is the army of heaven. This is an army who fights on behalf of heaven. And yet, look what these, these angels, these warriors, look what they say about Jesus. Look what they say about God. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And notice this, peace on earth. The warriors are proclaiming peace to those with whom God is pleased. Now, guys, this is not world peace. This kind of peace, man, it is so much bigger and more important than world peace. This kind of peace comes from believing that this Jesus that we're, we're celebrating tonight is Lord and Savior. And when we believe that, God gives us a supernatural peace. Why does he do that? Because our sins have been forgiven and, and we just, we no longer carry this guilt and, and, and the shame of our sins. How is that possible? Well, because of Easter, because of Resurrection Sunday. I mean, it's possible because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus. It's only by God's grace. Now, please note that this peace is not given to everyone. Look at verse 14. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So the opposite is also true, right? The other side of this coin is that peace does not come to those with, with whom God is displeased. Now, how do you know if God is pleased with you or not? Look at verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, well, we got to go to Bethlehem 
We've we got to see this thing that has happened and, and the Lord has told us about. Two things to note here in verse 15. First, the shepherds heard the gospel message and they, they, that, that Jesus came to save sinners. Secondly, they believed it. They believed it. They didn't like yawn after seeing all those angels and hearing the message. It's the same thing today, by the way. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what? You believe. We can't choose God. Spiritually dead people can't choose anything. We, we have to believe that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from our sins. Saved from, being, from carrying around this baggage of guilt of being a sinner. The apostle continues. He says, one believes with the heart. And what's that do? It results in righteousness. Your life becomes a living testimony of what is truly right and what is truly wrong. You no longer desire to sin. Those things that you used to love are now repulsive to you. You can't do that anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a 180 turn from your sin to Jesus. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes on Jesus will not be put to shame. So the, the mode and the means of salvation here have always been the same. doesn't matter if it's been shepherds 2,000 years ago or for us today. So all that to say this. God the Father is pleased when you believe in His Son as the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father is also displeased when you disbelieve. Verse 16, what happened? The shepherds, they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. <laughs> Can you imagine this conversation? The shepherds trying to find Mary and Joseph and the baby, looking for a baby in a manger, and they finally see him, and they're like, they walk up to Mary and Joseph, and they're like, hi, hi, yeah, hi. Uh, you don't know us, but wow, do we have a story for you. You are not going to believe this. Verse 18. All who heard the shepherd's story, they were astonished. But Mary, Mary, she kept all these things in her heart. And she thought about them often. Just like a mom, isn't it? So sweet. And then in verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks. What they do? They just go back to work the next day? Is that what they did? No. They glorified God and they praised God for all that they had seen and heard. And it was just as the angel had told them. See, once they, once they heard, once they believed, the, the shepherds could not help but tell others about it. And once again, that's what true believers do today, right? We share Jesus day by day. As I wrap up here, I wanted to share a question that, I've, that I continually get over the past year. 
So, Dustin, are we living in the end times? You know, this is going on over here. This is going on over there. It's a bit fearful to listen to the news and watch the news and hear about the wars, awful things that are happening and the rumors of wars. And we all wonder, right, is 2024, is that going to be any different? How's my retirement going to be? Am I going to have my savings? Is there going to be some kind of financial meltdown? The more I think about this, the, the more that it really doesn't matter what happens in your life. Those, those things that, that happen to us, our, our, our job is to remain faithful. That's it. I'm a pretty simple guy, and I know that's a simple answer. But when it's all said and done, guys, we've got no control of the craziness that's, that's happening outside. And please know, it's only going to get crazier. How do we know that? Because we we've read the last page. We, we've read the whole story. And for those of you who are disciples of Jesus, that should not scare you. See, fear shouldn't shut us down. It should wake us up. That's what the local church is supposed to do. It's supposed to wake sinners up. Local church is also supposed to call back those people who have left as well. Dear friends, if you've been hurt by the church, if, if somebody did this and you've walked away, okay. But you're invited to come back. You're invited to come back into a community that is really screwed up, by the way. Let me just say that. We are. We are. We may be saved, but we're still sinners, and we, and, we, and we still make really bad decisions, and we say stupid things. But there is a hope that we just we can't explain, and our job as the local church, it is to teach the Word of God so that it will prepare you for the things that are about to happen to you, whether it's tomorrow or sometime in 2024. We are to be disciple makers of Jesus. Amen. So is God calling you? Is he calling you? If he's calling you tonight, do some business with God right now. Do some business with him. And maybe he's calling you to get back involved into a, 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 a local assembly, a fellowship. And if that's the case, praise God too. The moment you hear the Lord's voice, please don't harden your heart, guys. If you've got questions, I'll be here at the front. We've got uh, fellowship and snacks and, and all that stuff here in just a few minutes. Um, as I think about 2024, the question that the Apostle Paul asks, or he talks about, he talks about finishing life well. So the question before us is, okay, we, we, we've got the, the, the Christmas story, we know why Jesus showed up, and, and we've got the, the Easter story, we, we know why he died, okay, but what are we going to do with it? How am I going to finish life well? 
Are you going to be a disciple maker? You going to share Jesus day by day? I hope so. I hope so. Merry Christmas, guys. Father in heaven, what an amazing supernatural story. We cannot, may we never, ever, ever get over the fact that you have stepped down off your throne from eternity past to become your own creation in the form of a man for the sole purpose of being a sacrifice for our sins. No matter how it bad it gets in our life, how much pain we go through, we may go through, how much hope may has been extinguished, may we all always run to the cross. You've done it all. And Father, I, I pray that our worship was, was reverent tonight. I pray that we honored you in, in every single way, and as we continue to meet new friends. And deepen our friendships. Lord, we pray that you would lead us and guide us uh, tonight, tomorrow, celebrating Christmas Day, and then leading into the new year. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.